Amen. All right. Two of us agree. I'm trying to find my notes here. I'm going to do a novel thing. I'm going to read from these notes. Praise the Lord. Well, good evening. Good evening. Oh, that was kind of weak. Come on. Let's wake ourselves up. Good evening. Good evening. Oh, that was better. Praise the Lord. It is a good evening. Anyone here tonight? This is your very first, and my goodness, if it is, if there's anybody here for this is your very first time at a service at Faith Christian Center, we want to take a picture of you and put you up on the. <laughs> take a picture of all of you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I want to know. Well, no, I won't go there. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. I better do that. That's going to be better. Father, thank you tonight for, for your worship, the time of worshiping you, and thank you, Father. For your presence here, your presence was here before we came because of prayer and worship that goes forth in this room all the time. But we brought your presence also. And Jesus, you promised where two of us, more of us are gathered in your name, there are you in our midst by your Spirit. And so you've not just come in us, but you're here among us. And we're here tonight, Father, for you to work in our lives. We're here tonight for your will to be done. We're here tonight for you to speak to us and for us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. And Father, I believe with all my heart that what you have put in my heart tonight from your Word are things that will change our lives and give us victory over the situations that Satan has and will try to bring us against us, to distract us and to stop us. And so, Father, we look to and rely upon the anointing that's upon your word and on what you've put in my heart, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen and amen and amen. Well, I've had something just stirring in my heart, a verse. And usually when God's doing that, He's trying to get my attention about something. And it's, it comes from two places in the Bible, and one of them uh, we're not going to get into tonight. Uh, and and it's, it's where when Jesus is tempted by Satan, when he's, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit in the River Jordan, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and it's interesting, it says, it leaves, leads him in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And, and that's an interesting thing, we're not going to get into that tonight. But when Satan comes at him with three different temptations, Jesus answered each of them with, it is written. He doesn't argue with him, he doesn't reason with him, he doesn't figure anything out, he just answers with God's Word. But the first temptation was to turn the bread, to turn the stones of, in the wilderness into bread because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And the Bible says that at this point he became hungry. And so Satan was tempting him to use the anointing that he had to satisfy his own needs. And Jesus' answer was, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's the verse that's been rolling around in me for quite a while. In fact, I got an idea today how long it was, because when they asked me for a title for tonight's message, I told them, I said, it's not by bread alone. And Charles came back to me a little later. He says, you did that in June. So I guess I was on this in June also. So this is a refresher for what I did in June, but there's another direction that God's taken me in since then. So we're going to begin to look at this. Let's go to Exodus uh, chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Good to get into the Old Testament sometimes. Exodus chapter 16. The children of Israel have just been delivered by ten miracles, first of all, before they got out of Egypt, 
ten mighty signs. And then perhaps the greatest was is when God parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land over two million people. And when they get to the other side, their enemy, which is the most powerful army in the earth at the time, and their cracked chariots, 600 of them, go barreling in after them, and the sea that parted for them and held up for however long it took 2 million people to cross it, now comes in and swallows their enemy up in one day. They've seen themselves delivered supernaturally by God, and their enemy destroyed in one day. And they get out now into the wilderness three days and their water supply has run out. And the very first thing they do, well, let's pick up there. Exodus 16, we're going to read down quite a bit in this. And they journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed the land of Egypt. So this is six weeks after they've been out. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So the minute the pressure comes on them, what do they do? They start complaining. They've just seen the most amazing miracles perhaps you could see, short of seeing Christ raised from the dead. And now they're complaining. We're going to see why they're complaining. And verse 3, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and we ate bread in the full, and you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's a pretty bold thing to say against God's representatives. And what they're saying is we had it better in Egypt because we had meat to eat. Of course, they seem to have forgotten that they were slaves. They seem to have forgotten the the lashes of the taskmasters as they made them near the end not only build the bricks, but they made them collect the straw for the bricks. They They didn't get time and a half for overtime. In fact, they didn't get time. They didn't get paid at all, except with the meat and the leeks and the onions. And they're so governed by what they eat that they want to go back into bondage because of the food they remembered there. Oh boy, I could preach that one. We may hear a little bit about that at the beginning of the year. They were governed by their appetites, their physical appetite. And so much so that they're complaining that God delivered them and they want, they're complaining that they were brought out here to kill them and they'd rather go back. Verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people go out and gather a certain quarter every day, that I may, look at this, that I may test them whether they may walk in my law or not. Now, there, no law has been given at this point. And I looked that word up, and it means instructions. In other words, that they will follow my instructions. I want to see if, I want to test them and see if they will follow my instructions. That's what God's saying to them. Verse 5, It shall be on the sixth day, now here's what He's going to instruct them to do. It shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they shall gather daily. You'll see why in a minute. 
Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord, which you, which, and what we are that you complain, what are we that you complain against us? So God hears our complaints. And our complaints against leaders. Verse 8. Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread for the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him. And what are we that your complaints are against us but against the Lord? And Moses said there, So say to the congregation of Israel, the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your complaints. And it should come to pass. Um, let's go down to uh, verse 12. The Lord said, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall be eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So what's involved here is not just feeding them, but that they should know something about God. This becomes very important to us. So God wants them to know who He is. And it's very easy to read through that and say, oh yeah, He's the Lord their God. But they've just spent 430 years in a nation that is about as idolatrous as you can get. They had thousands of gods that they worshipped. And and this is a generation that's been raised in that culture. They didn't have synagogues that they go to. They didn't have a a Bible or a Torah. I mean, they didn't have a, 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 a Torah or something that they could read. So they have been living together in a land that is filled with idolatry. And they, so they've not really known who God was. Remember when God appeared to Moses and told him to come back and tell the leaders to follow Moses? Well, they're going to wonder who sent me. We talked about this Sunday. Tell them, I am sent you. So he's telling them something about he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers, but they've lost touch with him in 430 years. So he said, I want you to know that I am the Lord, your God. You get to chapter 20, he's going to remind them when he gives them the Ten Commandments, the first one is that you shall have no other gods before me because I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of bondage. So God wants them to know who he is. So this test and what he's about to train them in has his ultimate purpose that they would know him as their God. Notice it's not that you will know that I am the Lord, the God, but I am the Lord, your God. I am a God who belongs to you. I am here for you. I am your source. I am your provision. I am all you need. You shall have no other sources before ahead of me. Okay, verse 13. Wait a minute, I got ahead of myself. I got in the wrong chapter, that's where I was. Wait a minute. Okay. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp, and the morning and the dew lay around the camp. And when a layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. We kind of had a little bit of that tonight. And so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What's this? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you. Let every man gather according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons, and let each one take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and some gathered more and some less. So it went that was then they measured it by, by the omers, he who had gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. In other words, they had exactly what they needed. God knew what they needed. Notice they can't collect too much. You'll see why in a minute. And Moses said, Let no one leave any until morning, notwithstanding that they did not heed or listen to Moses, but some of them left part of it until the morning. Now, why would they do that? They wanted to make sure that they had something tomorrow. And here's the issue. God is saying to them, every morning I will provide your daily bread. I will provide exactly what you need today. And you cannot have any left over to tomorrow because you're going to have to trust me all over again tomorrow to meet your need. And some of them did not listen. And the reason they didn't listen is because they didn't trust what God said. And when they didn't trust what God... Listen carefully. When they didn't trust what God said, they made provision for themselves. And what they made provision for themselves rotted. God was training them. We're going to see this in a minute. Verse 20. Verse 21. Oh, wait, verse 20. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and the bread and the worms, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry at them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath, which means rest. Tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning as Moses had commanded and it did not stink nor were there worms in it. So here's what's happening. For six days they're told to go out and gather just what you need for that day. And if you gather more than what's needed for that day, it will rot. However, on the sixth day you're to gather twice as much and when, because on the seventh day, you're to rest and not go gather anything. So on the seventh day, whereas every other day that second supply would have rotted, on this seventh day, it won't rot. Now, part of what God's doing there is training them, and this is the whole message today. God is training them to simply do what He says. And if they'll do what He says, then He will provide everything they need. And what he's training them is, is to learn when God says go collect it, you do exactly what he says. When God says don't collect it, don't collect it. If you take it into your own hands, it'll rot. But when God tells you to get like two days, it won't rot because God told you to do it. Everybody following me? But if you do it on your own, it'll rot. So God's training them to simply obey his word and that if they obey his word, he will provide everything they need in abundance. And we'll see that in a minute. Okay. 
And he goes on and, and repeats all this. Now let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Forty years has elapsed. And in a few minutes we'll look at what happened during that forty years. But now the generation that, th- that this was just spoken to has died out. And a generation of everyone that's twenty years old and younger or the generation that was raised in the wilderness, is now at the edge of the, of the promised land, the land that God has promised to them. The land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's a land that's prosperous. It's the land, it's, it's, it's God's destiny for His people. God's destiny was to bring them out of bondage and bring them into this place where the was, land was flowing with milk and honey. It was a place of abundant blessing where God would have a covenant with them that would become proof to the whole world of what Jehovah God was like. That was God's plan. That was God's desire. And we will see in a, first, in a few minutes that that first generation that God was training didn't make it. And now we're looking at their children and they've gone through the same kind of training, and they're now at the edge of the promised land. And when they got there, Moses, who's now 40 years older, Moses now goes back and goes over and reviews everything that's gone on before, before they got here. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about. It's Moses rehearsing the history of Israel's journey to prepare them before they go into the promised land. So let's start in, in, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. So God gave His word to their fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God, there it is, your God again, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness, look at this, to humble you and to test you and to test you that you might, that He might know what was in your heart whether you would keep His commandments or not. Verse 3. So He humbled you and allowed you to go hungry. Isn't that an interesting word? And He fed you. He allowed them to go hungry, but He fed them. He allowed them to go hungry from what they wanted to eat. And He fed them what He wanted them to eat. And He fed you with manna, which you did not know what it was, nor did your fathers know. Why did He do this? That He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What God was training them these 40 years, and what God's intention was to train that first generation just for one year, was that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want to spend a few moments tonight to, to look at what that, because we read over that so easily, and this is what the Holy Spirit's been bringing it back to me and having me meditate on this every day. Man does not live by bread alone, but that means he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is what God wants to get us, get a hold of it. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let's go on and read, and we will come back, back to that. Verse 4. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. 
So they've lived 40 years in a hot, barren, hard land. This is a land where, if you've ever seen pictures of it, you've been there, it's hot rocks during the daytime. It is brutal to walk on, and their feet didn't swell. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Why? Because God was providing for them supernaturally. They're out in the wilderness. They couldn't get up in the morning. You know what? This, this stuff's getting tight on me, or it's got holes in them. I think I'm going to go down to Walmart and, and get a... There's a sale going back down at Walmart. I need another pair of slacks or jeans to wear. There was no Walmart. There was no any other... There was nothing out there but God. And God was training them that He could provide their clothes in a wilderness, that He could take care of their health in a wilderness. In fact, there's other verses elsewhere to show that God kept them healthy in the wilderness. He promised to remove sickness from their midst. And so, so God is showing them that He has provided for them, and this is a training. He's trying to train their senses. Now, I've taught you before, there's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is passing on information. Training is making you apply that information in your life. So when you apply it, you will know what to do with it when you get into the real life situations. Which is why in the military they take you through boot camp or basic training. And you may sit for a while in a classroom where they instruct you how to take a gun apart, but then they're going to put you out... In, in live ammo flying over your head and have you do the same thing. They're going to put you in real life battle situations so you're trained, so you're disciplined in, in applying that in your life. And that's what God is doing here. He's not just passing one. In fact, this is interesting. He didn't tell them what He was teaching them until after He taught them by training them. Remember the old, the old movie? It's not, it's, it's not all for some of you. It's all for... It's, not, it's all for... Never mind. One of those nights. Remember the karate kid? Anybody remember that kid? <laughs> yeah, you know. All right. And remember he goes to the karate master, Miss Miyagi, all right, and he wants him to teach him karate. So what does Mr. Miyagi, Miyagi do? He has him paint his fence. He says, no, no, no. Like, paint it up, paint it down. Paint it up. No, 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 no. He says, paint it with a wrist. Up, Paint it down. And then there's something else. He goes, now go side to side, side to side. And then he has him each day come back. He's he's so frustrated. And the last thing is he's got to wax the car. Wax on, wax off, wax on. And he finally gets so frustrated. I've spent three days. I've waxed your car. I've painted your fence. I've sanded your floor. You know, and you haven't taught me anything. He says, come here a minute. He goes, and all of a sudden this kid is having reactions he didn't know he had. Because he didn't realize he was being trained by a discipline, he was doing something that was very mundane that he couldn't see in his mind. See, this is why sometimes when we're undisciplined and even young people especially, they don't understand because they're looking for a result. Show me the result so I know why I'm doing what I'm doing instead of just learning to listen to the instructions. And the instructor will get you to the end if you just listen to him. And sometimes we do that with God. We want to see, I don't see how this is going to work. I don't see how it's going to produce anything. And then we just shut down God's ability to bring us to another level because we're not willing to just do simply what He says to do. Because if we do what He says to do, He knows how to get you where He wants to get you. All right, we'll move on. Your garments, verse 5. 
He did this, so you, verse 5, so you should know in your heart, not in your head, in your heart, that as a man chastens his son, now that word chasten sounds harsh, but it words literally means to train. As a man, as, as a father trains his son, so the Lord your God trains you. Verse 6, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and of springs, and flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. And he's going to go on and say a land... Well, let me keep reading. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can did copper, and when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Now he goes on and says, and I've trained you in this so that when you prosper and you're blessed, you will realize, you will remember, but it was the Lord your God who prospered you and not you yourself. Okay. So let's go back to, to the lesson here is that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Tonight I want you to begin to feel what it means to live by something. Because it's so easy to read those words over and say, yeah, I know that verse, I know that verse, I know that verse. But we don't know that verse because we're not living that verse. God wants us to know that, but what, when we live by, what does it mean to live by bread? Well, it's not just literally, you know, sweet bread or, you know, rolls or bagels or things like that. It's food. It's the natural food that our body needs to, sat, to sustain it and to satisfy the hunger and the desire. So it's referring to our natural needs, things that are necessary in order to live. So notice, God doesn't say man doesn't need to live by it. But he says we don't live by that alone. And he wants us to learn, because very often God teaches us spiritual principles by using natural examples. And the reason for that is we can relate to the natural examples. We can all relate to eating. I assume we can all relate, especially this time of year. It seems like stuff I shouldn't eat just comes from everywhere. It's like the old Muppets movie where it talks to you. It says, you know, I'm here, eat me. I'm here, eat me. So we're, we're well familiar with the de- not only the need to eat, but the desire to eat. And it fulfills a desire that we have, an appetite that we have. But God is saying, we don't live by that alone. But we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now think about that a second. Think about what that word is. That's not just the words on this page. It's every, every word that God speaks, every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think of, of Hebrews 11, 1, which says, By faith we understand. By faith we understand. Not by science, not by our textbooks, but by faith we understand that the worlds, this universe, was framed by the word of God. God's word brought light out of darkness. God's Word created life where there was no life. Hebrews 1 verse 3, talking about Jesus, said he's the, he's, the, uh, he's the outshining of His glory. He's the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds 
all things by the word of his power. So God's word created the universe and it's still functioning by the power of his words. Let there be. Did you ever notice when Jesus spoke to things, he didn't scream and yell at them, and we say it doesn't sound like he did. He just said, let there be. He just says, peace be still. I, I, I just, because there's such authority in his words. I was thinking, meditating today, as I have been on some scriptures, about just the authority of his word. And I was meditating on, on how often Jesus says to something, be it done unto you as you believed. And it's suddenly connected in me. Here's all the authority and power of Jesus. And he's basically saying, whatever you can believe, I'll release my power into that through my words. So his words are so powerful that Peter walked on one word, on the water. He didn't walk on the water, he walked on the word come. Because you can't walk on water, but you can walk on Jesus' words. So, man does not live by bread alone. So we've been, the life that's in you is a result of His Word. The very first life that was created was Adam. And Genesis 2, 7 says, God formed this living being out of the dust of the earth. But He wasn't alive then. And then God breathed into Him the breath, the words of life. And He became a living soul, a living being. Everything is sustained. Everything exists by the authority and power of God's words. And we take it so lightly. We take it so lightly. We take it so lightly. Man does not live by bread alone, but we live by, we're made alive by, we breathe by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now let's go to Numbers chapter 13. I said we'll go back and see what happened between these two generations. What's happened in Numbers... Numbers is the story of, of a number of things, no pun intended. God's journey leading them on a journey. And the journey from, from their deliverance in Egypt to the edge of the promised land took them about a year. It could be done in several weeks. But God, the Bible says that God could not take them by the short route because on that way they run into the Canaanites and God knew that if they met the Canaanites they would run back into Egypt. So God had to take them by a circuitous route uh, and to bring them to the edge of the promised land and He's brought them there now. And what they did in chapter 13 earlier is they've sent in 12 spies. Now God's already told them what this land is going to be. We, we, God's told them that this is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be a land where you don't have to dig irrigation canals as they did in Egypt, but you have to carry water from, from the river up here. This is a land that water is going to flow out of, the, out of the ground. This is a land that's going to prosper you beyond your wildest imagination. And so they get to the edge of the... and they send 12 spies in to verify whether that's true or not. And they come back with physical evidence of how... Pro- they come back with a, with a cluster of grapes that's so big it has to be carried on a pole on the shoulders of two men. And they come back and they... they uh, well, let's pick up here. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron. These are the twelve spies. And all the congregation of the Israel in the wilderness at the Kadesh, which is the entrance into the promised land. And they brought back word to them. Words are so 
powerful. The Bible says life and death is in the power of your tongue, of words. And we're going to see an example. God has spoken His word and told them, I've given you this land. Now I've been training them. He's been training them for a whole year, every day, by what they eat. Every day that their, that their clothes don't wear out. Every day He's been training them to trust His word. And here after one year of God's boot camp, they're at the day of testing and they come back and they brought back to them word and to the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Verse 27. And they told them and they said, we went into the land where you sent us and it truly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. In other words, God told us the truth. That's what they're saying. Verse 28. Nevertheless, that's, that's a word like but. And that's always a word of transition in the opposite direction. And so you need to be careful. Some of those are good transitions. When, when Jesus told Peter, after he finished using his boat, in Luke chapter 5. He said, send the boat out and launch out into the deep and throw down your nets for a catch of fish. And Peter says, but, but Master, <laughs> we were out there all night and we caught nothing. In other words, we've just been there. There are no fish there. But he says, nevertheless, at your word, we're going to go back out. And when they did what he said, now we're going to see this nevertheless works in the opposite direction. Although everything God said we found was true, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. They were giants in the land. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites. Notice there's much more detail here than there is on the Good Report. And the Amorites dwell in the mountain, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and along the banks of the Jordan. It's almost as if what they're saying is, God didn't know they were there. Now think about this. This is what got Adam and Eve in trouble. God says, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but you may not eat of the fruit of this tree. Satan comes and gets them thinking about what God said, instead of simply obeying what God said. What's happening here is they're doing, and when you get in trouble and I get in trouble, it's always the same thing. Satan has nothing new or original to bring at us. So if we just learn this simple principle, just do what he says. So now they're reasoning based on what they've seen. They have God's Word and then they have what they've seen and what they think about what they've seen, what that means about what God says. I'm going to walk through that again because that's important. They have God's Word, what God has said to them of what they can do. They have their physical senses and evidence of what they've seen and that's okay, but now their mind's reasoning based on what they've seen of whether they can do what God said. I'm going to walk through that one more time. 
Because it's so important. Because this is what goes on in our mind. If you've been around very long, you have some word in you. You know, and if you haven't, there's, we have them in the bookstore. They're very much available. They're online. I got like 40 translations on my phone. All right? So the word's available to us. So we have God's word, what God has said. But then we get physical evidence coming through our senses. And that's okay. Those Jebusites and all the other termites were there. But now they're going to draw a connection between what they see and what God said, and their reason's going to take over. They're going to decide on their own based on what they see of whether they can obey what God said. And you and I deal with that every day. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 30. Then Caleb, now there were two of the spies that went with him. Two of the twelve were Joshua and Caleb. And they come back and they give a different report. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad, some translations say an evil report. Now think about this. What does God call evil here? Just what we talked about. When God has given us His Word, and remember, it's His Word. His Word isn't a prediction of what's going to happen. God's not sitting back and counting their numbers, and God hasn't looked back and evaluated the, all, the, all the ites, and said, well, you've got more people than the ites, so you're going to be able to overcome it. He doesn't look at their generals and their, and their military leaders and figure out whether the Israelites have a better system, better training. He doesn't, God isn't evaluating their chances of success here when He says, go in. The fact that God says you will win makes it happen. I've taught you this before. There's a difference between God's words and your words and my words. When you and I speak words, we're speaking out our, about what's going to happen. We're speaking out our intention and we're predicting something. So we're talking about the probabilities. I believe the Patriots are going to win Sunday. I don't know whether they're going to win or not, but you can look at all the fig facts and you know, they come up with an opinion and you can state a hope. When God says something, He's not expressing an opinion or a hope. God's words themselves make it happen. I want you to get that. God doesn't predict what's going to happen. God's words contain the power to carry them out. In Isaiah 55, God says, As the rain comes down from heaven and waters the ground and produces seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word be that comes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will do my will and it will prosper or accomplish the thing for which I sent it. God's words contain His power to produce what they say. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But what they're saying is, I know what God said, but my senses, my eyes told me 
that these giants are in there, and in my event, well, let's go in and read. They're men of great stature, verse 33. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from giants, and we were like grasshoppers, look at this, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. That is such a powerful verse. So they're evaluating whether they can go into that, possess the land, overriding God's word, overriding not God's prediction, God's promise of what's going to happen. They're overriding all that based on what ten men saw and what their reason decides about what they saw compared to God's word. And in their reasoning, they're evaluating it based on what they see. And these re- evil reports says these men are bigger than we are. They were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So when we began to reason and look at ourselves, we saw ourselves as totally inadequate to do what God's called us to do. I like that it says, and so were we in their sight. If you go on and read the story, after they go in, and they send spies in at the end of the 40 years, and, and they talk to Rahab, she basically says, we were trembling behind our walls when we heard you came. This is for these people. The, the, these giants were scared of Israel because they knew what God had done for them. They heard the stories of how they overcame the Egyptian army. They heard the stories of how God parted. These pagans had more confidence in God's word and who these people were to God than God's chosen people had. Why? Because they failed to learn the... I'm getting ahead of myself. They failed to learn the lesson of their daily bread. And God was displeased with them and kept them there for 40 years. Now this is an interesting story. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10... It starts by saying that these stories of Israel are in the Bible as an example for us of what, to, what not to do. And it goes on and describes how they got in trouble. But I want to go to Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12. We're going to pick, start here. So now... There's a, there's a reference back to the story we just talked about. And right before this, God swears at Israel, to Israel that they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, Beware, brethren, now he's talking to us today, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. It shows you how God regards unbelief. I used to just see unbelief as kind of a weakness. I used to see faith as kind of an option. Well, you've got the faith people, and their people believe in God for things, but then that's kind of optional. Until I began to read my Bible and find that's not how God sees it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith. And here God's calling unbelief sin. And you stop and think about what unbelief is. It's what the Israelites did. They said, We don't believe you, God. Even though every breath we breathe has come from you. Even though I'm still alive today when I shouldn't be alive today. None of us should even be here. 
None of us should even be in, this, in church except for God, what He's done in our lives. So, brethren, be, beware lest an evil, unbelieving heart, departing from the living God, but exhorting one another daily. That's what I'm doing today. While it's still called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we become take, partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? That's the group we just talked about. Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now he's going to talk to us. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us seem to come short of it. For indeed, this is what I wanted to get to, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. How was the gospel preached to them? The promised land was preached to them. Now the promised land to us is not heaven, as some people believe it is. Because as far as I know, heaven doesn't have Canaanites in it, and Jebusites, and Hittites, and termites in it. The promised land is our walk in this life as a Christian, filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the covenant of God, and in, the, in being victorious in that. And so, so, the writer of Hebrews is saying, beware, because the gospel was preached to them, to us as well as to them. But look at this. But the word they heard, what was the word that they heard? First of all, the word they heard is, I have prepared a land for you that's flowing with milk and honey. But the other word they heard is, here's the food that I've given to you every day. Trust me every day for your food. The word that they did not, look at what, they, what it says here. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Most of you come every Wednesday and many of you come, or come every Wednesday and come every Sunday, and some of you, you know, we come regularly to hear the Word. But the question is, is the Word profiting us? So apparently you can hear the Word, and it doesn't profit you. Because they heard the Word for 40 years, and it did not profit them. For the, heard the Word did not, being not mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who believe to enter that rest, and he said, I shall swore in my rest, they sh- my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, and God rested from his works, from all his works, and again in this place, you shall not enter my rest. We're just going to stop there. So what are, what are we talking about? We're talking about just as God chastened or trained Israel every day that they would learn to trust Him every day for their food and their water and their basic needs of life so that when the real test came, they would be prepared to stand on His Word and enter and receive the land that God had promised them and to receive their destiny. The writer of Hebrews is saying we can make that same mistake. We can go through our whole life and hear the Word and never have it mixed with faith. 
so that when the Word is not producing in our lives and the witness of our lives what God intends it to do. This is why the Bible tells us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Jesus said, blessed are you, not if you hear it, but blessed are you if you do it. All through the Bible, the New Testament talks about doing the Word, not just hearing the Word. So here's what it comes down to. How does God train us? God trains us every day by little situations that come up in our lives, and we have choices of where we're going to turn for trusting. I share with you, I think, Sunday, one of the scriptures God's used with me to train me in this, and and I'm still just really beginning in some ways, is is Philippians 4, I think it's 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now think about that. Be anxious for nothing. I went through cancer treatment. God's saying, be anxious. For, but God, this is, you don't, you need this machine. Be anxious for nothing. But you may say, but, but I don't know, I don't have a job. Be anxious for nothing. But my kids are a mess. Be anxious for now, nothing. Now, he doesn't end there. He doesn't say, just don't be anxious. He tells us what to do. But in everything, that means everything that you'd be anxious about, make your request be known unto God with prayer and, thanksgiving, and supplications, with thanksgiving. So God's Word tells us, here's a very practical thing you can apply in your life, just taking one Word of God and begin to apply it in your life. See, the, when, the next time you file yourself anxious, what, do, what, do you, what does your mind do? We, we know God's Word. We know that Word now. So we've got like what God gave them His Word. Behold, I've given you the promised land. And our evidence says we're not going to make it. But the doctor's report says, or the, 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 I'm getting these bills in the mail, or my kids are going crazy, or whatever. We get the physical evidence it's not working. There's a problem. And it's coming at us, and the temptation is to worry. But pastor, isn't it normal to worry? Yeah, but not for Christians. Not when God's Word says, don't. And God's not saying, don't worry, just because He doesn't care. God's saying, casting your cares upon me. God wants to meet your needs just as He fed them every day with stuff they didn't know where it was or understand where it was coming from. It just appeared every morning. And he was training them every day. And they never mixed what God was... They never learned the lesson. Why? Because all they kept looking at was Egypt. They kept complaining. Then they got to the point they're complaining about the manna. All we have is this manna. We're sick and tired of manna every day. It didn't cost them anything. They didn't have to to go to the store to get it. God delivered it to them free. And here's it. They didn't submit to God's training program. They fought it. And I'm concerned that so many Christians do the same thing. We've been walking with the Lord for 10 years, 15 years, maybe 6 years, and we really haven't grown in our faith. We've got Word in us, but we haven't grown in it because we're still looking to all these other ways, and we only turn to God as a last resort when nothing else works. Imagine how God must feel about that when He's given everything to us, 
not just His Son, but the Bible says with His Son, He gave everything else He had. He's given us His Word. He's prepared to back His Word up. And most Christians don't take Him at His Word until they get into a crisis. And then they're trying to cry out for God to help them. And He's merciful and gracious. And there have been times in my life I've had to say, God, you've been telling me to meditate on this Scripture, and I've been lazy and haven't done it. I need your mercy. But I want to learn that lesson now. God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. God is a Father, and He expects His children to grow up. He expects us to come to the place where we learn to trust Him at His Word and trust in His Word first and foremost before anything else. God may use people. He may use other resources. But He wants to be the source of that in your life. Not you, your friend, your spouse, or anybody else. God wants us to learn to trust Him and to take Him at His Word. Man does not live by bread alone. But God wants to teach you and train us, not just teach us, train us every day to learn to trust Him. Now to do that, you've got to get this Word in you. You've got to, because you won't trust it if it's not in you. It's not enough to know it. It's not enough to be able to recite it. It's not enough to have it on your refrigerator on little cards and things like that. Those are great helps. But the only way you get it in you is to meditate on it, is to chew it, is to swallow it, is to go over it in your thought life and begin to build it up. And I'm going to talk more next year about this. Begin to build yourself up on the inside with putting God's Word inside of you. Not just read it and say, well, I can check it off. I read my Bible today. But how much of it got in you? That's like all your meals is chewing the food and spitting it out. You tasted it, but it's not going to be do you much good because it didn't get down inside of you. And as you begin to put that word down inside of you, when you begin to get into these situations, that word is going to rise up inside of you and it's going to strengthen you in the middle of those situations. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the instruction of your word. You know where each one of us is tonight. You saw us before we were born. You saw us before the foundation of the world. And you chose us. And you called us to belong to you, to be adopted as a son or as a daughter. And you watch over us. And Father, Father, tonight we acknowledge that everything we have has come from you. The life that is within us, you created. We didn't create it. We treat it as our own, but it's yours. Our life is yours, and it's for your pleasure, and it's for your glory. And Father, most of us, most of us have been, have been lazy, and we've read your word, we, we hear your word, but we've not really ever fully put ourselves over to depend on your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy, that you'll meet us where we are, and as a loving Father, you will teach us and train us as we choose to grow in your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And tonight I ask you for that Spirit in the days and the weeks ahead to begin to bring back to us a recollection of what we've heard tonight and to begin to challenge us. Thank you so much that you are a Father 
and that when you correct us and when you chasten us and when you train us, it's always because you love us and you know what we're capable of doing or rather what you're capable of doing in us and through us. So we thank you for that, Father, tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Did you get something out of tonight?